What's going on, everybody? We back again. Another Killing Keep It Real podcast, man. I tried to get Coach McCormick to come on ever since, you know, they won the bowl championship game. But everybody, especially everybody in this area, knows Coach McCormick. Busy, busy guy. Um, You know, a lot of people credit Coach McCormick says, you know, there's probably not another recruiter in this area that, that works that hard. And I met a guy today from... um. I think it was from down in Carolinas, and I mentioned uh, Ryan McCormick, and he said, oh, yeah, he knew exactly who Coach McCormick was. So no matter where you are, we're running into people that know Coach Ryan McCormick. But I want to thank the people that helped make this possible, man. Big, big shout-out to Mark Wright, Coal Banker Coastal Homes. You know, if you're looking to buy a house, definitely give Mark a call at 401-787-5203. Mark will definitely hook you up. Nice guy. You know, we try to support people that support youth sports and coach McCormick. How are we doing today? <laughs> Good evening, Mike. How are you doing? All right. I love the office. You was just getting it done the last time we had spoken. I see you got the jerseys up there. Um, How's the new digs? Are they, are they all done? Yeah, they're done. Uh, it was a long process. Our contractor started in March and they didn't finish almost till live. I was getting a little nervous because, like, we're I was knee deep in like I call it camp recruiting season, where you know May, June, and July is like heavy camp mode. And so I'm getting text messages from home from my wife about the contractors, and that was that was interesting summer. Let's say because they were supposed to be done in two months, and two months turned into you know a quarter of a year. So. And you're busy. You're a very busy guy, so I can only imagine um, it was easy, to, uh, you know, for it to take so long. You, you know, you're doing your own thing. Things are going on. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, definitely was a added curveball I wasn't planning. Because when I we hired him back in the end of February going into March, you know, he quoted, you know, eight weeks. And I kind of was like, optimistic that that would actually occur but then i was like are you sure and he's like oh yeah yeah so well it's got to be done by may and may came and went and june came and went and part of july came and went and so i was like listen this has got to get done because i'm going to be heading into our own preseason soon enough so yeah you have so much going on between everything you do the the recruiting you know uh, you you came out of a very your COVID year you guys didn't play coming into a new season. Uh, what a year you, you guys had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Steven goes down week one, and you have the kid from Cumberland, Dante, step up. And did you guys know Dante was going to be as special as he is when you recruited him? Well, <clears throat> we recruited Dante. We thought he could play quarterback, um, but we also knew he was so physically talented that if he if it didn't hadn't worked out at quarterback, he could have definitely played somewhere else and like started. So it. It wasn't that we didn't have faith in him as quarterback. It was like we recruited him because he was such an unbelievable athlete that he was so multifaceted, both running and throwing, which was very intriguing to us. And then when he got here, he worked really hard to hone his quarterback skills, and he developed very quickly, um, which was really impressive. So, you know, when when Steven went down to the Hudson game, obviously you're losing – you know, a guy that holds all the records at UMass Dartmouth in the history of the program, um, a guy that was getting looks from the National Football League, a, a guy that was our leader, our go daddy, so to speak. And then he goes down, you know, 
if, if you had said to me that the, the year would have gone the way it went, I would look back and said, no way, because it's really hard for any freshman, I don't care how talented you are, to do what Dante did. And he did it with such like, it was crazy to go back and watch film and go, this is a freshman doing what he's doing. And he was making junior and senior level throws week one against a very good Huston team at their place in a hostile environment. And he really, you know, lit the world on fire that game because I think they were stunned. I think they were, they were all excited when they knocked Steven out of the game. They really thought that we had no shot against them. And then in comes Dante, like Luke Skywalker. And he's like, okay. And just gets it done at a very high level. And, you know, that was really like a sigh of relief. But we were worried about the next game. I'll tell you why. Like a lot of quarterbacks can go into a game and have a good game because they don't have to think about it. They just go and play and do. And then now he has a whole week going into an opponent that arguably at week one, Dean had really beaten up framing uh, Fitchburg State. Week one scored a ton of points. Their wide receiver scored six touchdowns that game. And so we're like, now we have to ask Dante to go into a game as a freshman against a point that was undefeated week two and beat a team that put up ungodly points week one. And that week he, he just literally lit it up. I mean, he was on fire. He threw for four touchdowns. I think he ran for two. Um, I'd have to go look back at the exact stats. But we thought after that game he'd get the Golden Helmet Award after that game. And they gave it to somebody else, I think, in D2 that had a good game because the Golden Helmet is an award that all the New England sport writers give every week. Um, they give one to the best Division One player in the Northeast region, and they give the second one to the best Division Two slash Division Three best player that week. And they only give them up, for, I think it's like 10 weeks straight. And so we thought he would actually get it for the second because he put up such amazing numbers. And um, he didn't, which we were shocked as a staff. But I get it. Like, you know, the different – I don't know if they wanted to give it to a D3 kid week two again. Um, and then he just – he had some growing pains minorly in the Framingham game and the Westfield uh, Westcon game. But it literally from the Westcon game forward, he put the pedal to the metal, Mike. And it was like he won this six-game epic run where he just got better and better every week. He got better and better every quarter. And it, it was just – it was impressive. So as a program, we're really excited to see what he does now evolving forward because he had a had a, a, a season that some seniors dream of, and he's a freshman, so, you know, on the field. So he's only going to get a lot better. And he if you, if you saw his day-to-day work ethic right now, you'd be as excited as I am and as our, all our players are because I think the product we put on the field in 2022 is going to be – one of the best procs potentially in school history. So we're excited about it. Well, so, I mean, this last season was actually a record breaker for your, for your school going, going nine and two. I think Dante passed a record that was, that held since 1998, Jay Furtado. And he beat Jay Furtado by five touchdowns. And, you know, Steven has a great work ethic, so it, it only gets better from here. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is Steven was such a good leader that he got hurt. He knew it was a pretty severe injury with his with his knee and his elbow action, the same play. He comes out, he has to put a brace on, and literally within like 10 plays later, Steven's on the sideline with a brace on, mentally helping Dante like get right 
to be highly productive. It was almost like having a player coach with, with Steven. So, and Steven was great helping out as a student coach at that point because he was injured with the quarterback's room, with the quarterback coach, which was also OC. And that was a big help too because Steven brings such a mental piece to the game. It was almost like he was mentoring Dante to like take the reins and then go with it. So, and Dante just did a great job just taking the information and, and really making it part of his deal. And from the Wessel game on, the fourth quarter of that game was when he started really utilizing his feet to extend plays, almost like a Patrick Mahomes where, you know, he'd, he'd avoid the rush, reset, avoid a defender, and then get the ball out on, on rhythm and make some big vertical throws and also make some big runs to extend the chains. And, and he was just – he got better every week. And the Alfred State game, the bowl game, he really put on a show. I mean, it was like, Wow. Yeah, what a game that was. I mean, he comes out the gate 2-0, and that second game, 48-29. to What a great game. And then Framingham State comes along, a little hiccup. Mm-hmm. And then you guys move on to, to Worcester State, another big, big game. You guys win that 52-7. to Then then another loss with Weston, Connecticut. Are you nervous at that point after the October 2nd game? No, I'll tell you why. We In the game, we lost our left tackle for the year with an injury to Shario um, with his leg, and that was a big loss because he's a really good player. And in the same quarter, we lose our right guard, who was an all-conference player the year before, to an injury. Um, so both of them are out for that game, the rest of that game. And then we had another lineman get dinged up, had to come out. So we lost three starting linemen all in the first quarter. Before those guys go down, we're up 14 nothing. So – you know, if you say to anyone, hey, you're going to lose three of your starting offensive linemen, how do you think you're fair? I would say probably not too good mm-hmm. um, with a young quarterback that's still kind of developing and growing and evolving. So, you know, part of it was some some mistakes from Dante, some issues with personnel, not having all the horses up front, which is never good. And Westcom was a good team. It was their homecoming night. So we're in a buzzsaw situation with a lot of injuries and and we didn't play well out of the gate either. We, I mean, we scored two touchdowns, first two drives. We kind of got comfortable for a short span, and then the injuries happened. The nice thing is, as a staff, after that game, we got home late, late, late that night because it's a far ride. We literally didn't sleep. So we get went in, like, major, like, lock-in mode. And, like, no one even, like, complained about it on our staff. We just were like, we got we to gotta, we gotta fix this, like, yesterday. And we did a lot of deep dive self-evaluation, a lot of deep dive evaluation with the exponent, things we could do to help Dante continue to like be locked in and do what he needed to do. And he did. He was he was amazing. So he just cranked. He just he just embraced, okay, I gotta work on little things myself. And he became a great leader as a young kid. And the younger offensive line really stepped up because guys were out. And that point four, we started really we started really locking as a team. Like our guys, I said, listen, we can win the next the rest of these games. We just got to – here's the check, the boxes we have to do as a team, as coaching staff, as, you know, all the way around the horn. So – and everybody was just like we, – we knew we could get to the bowl game. So we just went on this epic run. And every week we got better and better. You can see with our scores, we got better and better and better. Yeah, you played Mass Maritime 26-10. to 10. That was in October 9th game. Um, and I remember that game, you know, Felix is, um, you know, sending me box scores left and right. Thank God for uh, – Felix going to all them games. Speaking of Felix, he actually commented a couple of things. That's uh, 20 guys on the Mascot All-American team, including Shine. That's how I knew it was Felix. <laughs> uh, 
And he also said that you was the hottest working guy in football, which is no surprise. We hear that all the time about you, Ryan. You, you know, um, you know, when I started this last year, you know, I used to tell people, you know, it was tough to get through an episode without somebody bringing you up, you know. But uh, let's get back to this. Then you play Westfield State. You won that by 10, 26-16. Um, then Pittsburgh, what a big game that was, 40 to nothing. So, you know, what a ride. The Westfield game was really the pivotal point. So we go on the road to Westfield. We didn't play well in the first half. We basically didn't get off the – I would say we were like asleep in the first half as a team collaboratively. And at halftime, our coordinators, our OC and our DC, our DC Steve Faneuil, our offense coordinator, Josh Sylvester, really did an unbelievable job. It was amazing to get the kids to like, let's wake up the sleeping giant. And it took a little point of the third quarter to kind of get going – and the fourth quarter re-erupted, Mike. If you go look in the stats of the fourth quarter, we put up unbelievable points, stats. Our kids yeah, I see. Play. Westfield put up 14 in the second, and that kind of must have had you a little bit nervous. At that point, you guys had six points. And then in the fourth quarter, like you said, you erupted putting 20 on the board to make it 26-16 final. But you had to be nervous going into that third. Yeah, we were, we were definitely nervous because we weren't playing well we weren't really coaching great as a staff. We were kind of like asleep. And so at halftime, the two coordinators, ROC and DC, and even our special teams coordinator, Ryan Struthers, they, they really evolved the game plan. They woke the kids up. They said, we have to start playing football. We need to do blah, 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 blah. Our head coach did a great job, like really kind of collaboratively getting both sides of the ball together and say, listen, we play the worst half of football asleep for half. It's time to wake up. In the third quarter, we started getting our stride. The fourth quarter, when it's like we, it's like you flicked a switch and it was like the volcano erupted, because our guys like literally just rose the bar, just such a high level to their true potential. And it was like, yeah, no more points for you. And we're scoring points every single time we touch the ball. And that's really kind of what happened. And it was like it was like you flicked a switch and the game was over. And if we played the fourth quarter, like if we played the game every quarter, like the fourth quarter, we would score eighty points guaranteed. So. Um, at that point, going home, it was a road game. We got back home and realized, hey, if we can play this like this for one quarter, we can play this like this for every quarter. So we started to like really deep dive, like why, why the first half happened like that? Why the third quarter kind of need to like get going to get the fourth quarter to really play like that in the fourth quarter? So, you know, we started to play like that going forward every game. If you look at the scores, you know, consistently we started to score a lot of points every game, not give up a lot of points every game. You know, so the Fishburg game was a very lopsided game. Um, our it was kids- a game of the number eight. You had eight points in the first, 18 in the second, eight in the third, and then six in the fourth quarter on a score of 40 to nothing. Um, what does it say? You have a nine and four record. Nine two. Over there. Oh, nine and two. Okay. No, I, I meant a verse on uh, Pittsburgh. Oh, overall, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, oops, let me get back to that. Yeah, so that was a very good game against um, Pittsburgh State. Let me get back in here. I'm sorry about that. That was a very good game against Pittsburgh State. You need an EWG shirt on your jersey wall. I wonder who that is. <laughs> you know? take, take a couple guesses. There we go. You know, shout out, Coach. Coach Paul, and I kind of heard rumors that, you know, he's already favored to get back to the Super Bowl by what Eric Rube said. 
Um, but I'm sure that's a long time from now. Um, but yeah, you definitely had a great, great season. You have some, some great, great kids this, this season, 25 kids, um, 25 kids overall from Rhode Island, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's get back up onto this schedule. Um, one second. So, yeah. And then, um, Bridgewater, you know, tough, tough team this season. Um, pretty close game, 26 to 20. You come out ahead of that game. And, you know, I had that game circled on my calendar, you know, because I had kids on both sides of the ball that were playing there. Um, but that was also could have been a problem for you guys. So we had, we hadn't had, we hadn't had beaten them since 2014. They're kind of like the, uh, the monkey on our back, so to speak. We just, we had a bunch of close games against them over the years. A couple of lopsided games we lost. Um, they just do a really, they're a good coaching staff and a good program. So they, they do a good job preparing their kids and they do a good job running their program. And we have, we're, it's funny, our staffs are pretty close friends, you know, off the field. And so like, we just have a really common respect for them and they have for us. So we know anytime we play Bridgewater, they're not going to be easy. They, their Bridgewater is never easy. They're a very physical team, a very disciplined team. Um, and we knew we had to play lights out good up there to beat them. And we did, we, we had a good game plan against them. Um, we came out swinging. We weren't going to be, we weren't going to, we were going to respect them, but we weren't going to be scared of them because they're very, they're very good. They're physical. Um, and that was a very back and forth game. That was a, if you were a fan, it's a great game to watch because it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It was, it was really an impressive game. Um, we could have easily lost that game. We played really well against them, but that was the game where we really got our confidence because beating them was a big, you know, check the box. I mean, we know that, that anytime we play them or Framingham or Westcon, they're all tough teams. And all the teams are league are pretty tough. I mean, it's not just them, but they're really they're always the top three team in the league. And it's really hard to beat them at their place. So to go up to Bridgewater and beat them at their place was was a big deal because they're good. Um and we know that next year they'll be tough when they come to us. So, you know, it was one of those games where you know, a lot of hugging and handshakes with their staff. They they have a good staff, um, you know, and and we, a lot of common respect. So, yeah, I mean, every year is gonna be a, a circle game because we know we could go down to the wire with them. They're just they're, that you never see a sub five hundred Bridgewater team. It, it's rare. I think they've had it once in twenty years if I looked up their records, but they're always competitive. So, you know, I mean. It was a big confidence builder for us to beat them at their place late in the year when they're at their best, and, and that was huge. It was a good confidence game for Dante, a good confidence game for all the young kids. You know, our two running backs that are kind of a core of our backfield, which is Louis Gonzalez from Florida and Marvin's Gene from Massachusetts. Those two guys played lights out good. Um, they were just – like I call them the Bash brothers. Those two kids are like thunder and lightning. You know, they, they played unbelievable against Bridgewater. They were the two-headed monster against them that just Bridgewater really never had a true answer for, which complimented Dante what he was doing in the run and pass game as well. You know, I mean, those two guys just, they're really impressive running backs. I mean, Dante finishes with, um I think it was like 318 yards passing, if I'm not mistaken, on 303 yards rushing. Your offense finished with, what, 621 total offense yards? Is that on the season? 
Uh, we had six hundred twenty-one in the in the, the bowl game against. Oh, all right, yeah, that 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 was in the bowl game. I'm I'm sorry. Um, so your senior day, pretty exciting day up there, Dotman. You play Plymouth State comes to visit you guys. Um, that was the November thirteenth on a Saturday game. You win that one twenty-eight to seven. Was you in the bowl at that point, or did you have to no. beat Plymouth State? So if we had lost that game, there was a possibility either Plymouth or Bridgewater got in the bowl bid. So that was a must win. Um, Plymouth is very unique in how they play football in the sense that their offense, we like to go tempo and move the ball quickly and be explosive and run a lot of plays. They like to methodically pound the ball at you, hold on the ball, eat, play, play, you know, clock time and play. I call it like very strategic, violent keep away, which limits the number of times their defense has to be on the field. Um, and it works for them. It's their philosophy, and it definitely works. It's an old Bill Parcells type of philosophy. You know, control the ball, move the ball methodically, move the change, and play sound defense, um, and don't give up explosives. So we knew we had to um, beat them at their game, so to speak. So we went a hair slower. Um, we did go tempo, but we had, you know, multiple high-end number of play drives, you know. 12 play drives, 15 play drives. And it really kind of took the air out of their sails because now they couldn't just play keep away. They had to try to keep up with the points and they couldn't. Um, they're another physical team. Senior day always scares me because um, it's a great day for the parents or our kids because it's, it's senior day, but it's very hard to go from a mentality where like you, you go through your team stretch, you go through your pregame stuff. And then before kickoff, it's flowers, hugs, and announcements, and accolades, and I, I call it like almost like a baby shower. In a sense, it's probably a bad analogy, but it's hard to go from a high to a low mentally to back to like trying to go win a prize fight. It's really hard to do that. So mentally for kids, and so, but you have to have senior day for the parents and, and the families, and I understand that. So senior day has always been a game that really gets me scared. It's a trap game. So from a from mental standpoint. Um, but we uh, we played really well. We knew it was on the line. You know, we, were, we wanted to send our seniors away with a win. We want to send our seniors away with a, you know, an opportunity to play in a bowl game. We knew after that game, we won that game a couple hours later that we would host a bowl game, which was ultra exciting. We haven't hosted a bowl game here in eons. Um, we haven't been in a bowl game since the early 2000s. So that was 2003, I believe this was your second, um, right? Since the, I believe Mm -hmm. since the team side and the first one was in 2003. Um, and you matched a lot of their, their stats. So, um, but Plymouth state now you guys, I think 11 wins, 11 losses. So you guys are kind of evenly matched up, but when they're down 20, nothing coming out of halftime, are they still going at a snail's pace? Um, it became a very defensive game. They moved the ball a little bit differently in the second half. I mean, we really limited their yardage in the first half. I think they had something crazy, like only like 15 yards. I have to go back and look, but they didn't have a lot of yards. Um, so we, the second half, you know, we really became a fist fight game because they were in panic mode to try to score points. We were just trying to take the ball with them as much as possible and control the ball. So, they did a good job slowing our offense down. But we also did a good job not letting them do a whole heck of a lot. I think they only had that one drive where they scored. Um, but 
the rest of the game and pretty much had in, in control from a controlling the ball standpoint. So, I mean, they're they're physical. They're definitely a good team. So, and we knew that they wouldn't be easy, and they weren't. Um, you know, there's really no easy game, so to speak, in this conference. You know, even some of the bigger scores like Fitchburg or, you know, Worcester, they're still good teams. And you got to play your A game to score any points against them, much less the points we scored. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we were we were definitely not overconfident playing playing Plymouth. We we weren't scared of them, and we respected them, but we knew we had to play really well to win that game. It was it's a, it was a huge game. So yeah, we so after the game, we found out that evening that we were hosting the bowl game. We just didn't know who the opponent was yet. We we're waiting for the the other three conferences to vote on it and let us know who the two seed was in the bowl game. So it was kind of like the hurry up and wait because, you know, we're excited we won the Plymouth game, but a short turnaround because the next Saturday we're playing home against somebody. And so we didn't find out officially to the next day who that was. It was late in the day um, when they announced it. So at that point we had to get the, you know, get film, do film exchange with them and start breaking down the film. Traditionally when our game ends on the Saturday in season, we have the next opponent's films by roughly, you know, um, early the next morning, if not that the night before that Sunday. So we've already started tagging the film and preparing the film for breakdown. So we didn't even get the films from from um, from Alfred State till that evening, till Sunday night late. So we had a really short time frame to get stuff done. Pretty big team you have here. We talked last time he was on, 25 Rhode Island kids. I think for the last couple of years, I don't know if there is a NCAA school that has that many kids from, from any state. Uh, you must, you must stop and must hold the record for having the most kids out of uh, out of a single state. Yeah, I mean, we've had the most Rhode Island kids on our roster since probably 2016. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at each roster and count it up, but – I know as of 2016, we definitely did. Um, we we definitely had a lot of Ryland kids from that point forward, and that's been a big piece of our success is having, you know, a lot of good, really good Rhode Island kids, you know. Um, and, you know, obviously we have a lot of good Connecticut kids and a lot of good Mass kids, and we have a run back from Florida who's an absolute stud. We have a wide up from Louisiana, uh, Easton Coleman, who's going to be an absolute superstar here. Is that Louis Gonzalez, the kid from Florida? Yes. Green Acres? Okay, yeah, very, very. That kid is, like, so cut. I think I've seen a couple pitches of him. Pretty uh, pretty tough kid. Yeah, him and Marvin's, who's number, Marvin's number nine, the two of them are just they're, – they're just – they're a nightmare for teams to stop. I mean, they – you know, when they carry the ball, they're both big guys. I mean, Louis is 6'1", 225-ish. He fluctuates between 225 and 230, and he's just like a steamroller. But he's fast. He's strong. And then Marvin's is similar in build. Um, they're both like, you know, Batman and Robin, those two guys, man. The way they run the ball, they just beat up the defenders, and they just explode and run by them like they're standing still. Um, they're the just- Delgado kid, he's not from Rhode Island. I think he's from Lynn Mass, but. He's he's becoming a pretty uh, exceptional player too, huh? The uh, yeah, the linebacker. Davian's really really athletic. He comes back for his fifth year next year. Didn't he get he MVP was, last year during the Alfred State game? He did not. It was it was uh, number eight, DJ Machado. Oh, DJ Machado. Okay, I'm sorry. He is a senior. He's out of eligibility now. So DJ um, is graduating this spring, and 
and he's done. We, we're going to miss him. He's a really good player. He was was the MVP of the bowl game. He had some great plays, boy, in that game. So you get back-to-back Rhode Island brothers out of Tiverton, Steven, and then you got Matt Gaychuk coming out of his uh, – he had his freshman season, right? They still have him down here as as a freshman. Um, how is he developing? He um During the COVID year, he didn't throw as much as he probably should, but he started to really get better at the, at the end of the year last, last – this past season – so um, he's kind of like a work in progress, but he was able to do some things for us in like a wildcat type look at quarterback at times. And he was also our punter and kicked some bombs of punts. So he um, he definitely did a good job during the year. I mean, he was definitely a piece of the, the success puzzle for sure. And he's going to get better. I mean, him and Dante push each other and, you know, they both don't act like freshmen. They, they, they act like they're juniors because they're so like, they're so uh, developed already, and they're so like they have great leadership skills and great character. So those two guys do a great job. I mean, Maddie, you know, Dante got dinged up in a game. Maddie had to go in, did a good job for when he went in, and uh, it, they're really positive with each other, which is good. Like some, you know, in other places in, in years past, before we had Steven, before we had Dante, before we had Matt, you know, sometimes backup quarterbacks you know, or a quote unquote threat to the starter here, you know, it's a really positive room. So they push each other to be better, which is what you want, you know? So they continue to raise the bar every day at practice and films and meetings. So, you know, um, it's tough for him because you can only really kind of start one kid, but he's done a good job really pushing to, you know, to get better and, and, and be, a, a clear piece of the puzzle. So, I mean, we had packages throughout the year. We'd bring Matt in and pull Dante out, uh, kind of like hybrid packages, and he did a good job with it. So he's going to continue to get better. I mean, you know, if these two guys develop like they should the next three years, and, we, you know, that room's going to be really good. I mean, we just signed a – we can't say his name by NCAA rules till May 1st. But we signed the starting quarterback from Lake Highland Prep down in Florida, and he had gone undefeated, won the state title, three-star kid, big athletic kid, uh, moves like Dante, can throw like Dante, but is as big as Matt physically and build. You know, so we're excited to have him, um, which is he's another type of similar character kid, great student, um, great kid, worker, is going to push them. You know, we're never going to have like seven, eight quarterbacks in the quarterback room. It's never going to happen here. It's not our deal. You know, you traditionally will probably have four to six roughly, which is a really good reasonable number um, because we want eventually all of them to be the guy at some point in their career. So, um, and so for us, you know, it's just, it's a good room and all the rooms are good rooms. I mean, that's why we won the games you won. I mean, you know, you lose three starting offensive linemen, you lose your starting quarterback, you would think would be dead in the water. And that didn't happen. We kept rolling forward and kept evolving and fixing things and, and the kids rose to the occasion. So, you know, yeah, uh, I was very surprised. I'm not even going to lie. I was very surprised, you know, seeing Dante, you know, when Steven went down, I'm not even going to say I wasn't, I was like, uh Oh, they're in trouble. And it just wasn't the case. You had plenty of people step up. JP Mason, another one, you know, exceptional player, another mascot player, you know, Joshua Sir Stockwell, you got so many great kids on that team. We could just keep going, going on and, and on J.P. Mason, uh, tell me a little bit about him. 
So here's a cool story. So when JP was a freshman, right, he comes in and he initially came in as a wide out. And we had a kid, Abby Bambos, who was was all world here. He went on to play for the Orlando Predators arena, um, was a stud player for us. So JP was behind him on offense. And he was frustrated because he was a great player at Hendrickin, all-state player at Hendrickin, and <laughs> never really lost much at Hendrickin. And so he comes here and – he was frustrated he wasn't starting, and but he worked really hard and he started on specials, but he but you know he was a type of kid that wanted to start now and I, and I don't blame him because he was a good he's a good he is a good player, and he was just behind a stud at that position. During the course of that year, he moves to defense, but unfortunately, he's behind a Division One transfer at the other position, and so he was on the fence of coming back after his freshman year because he thought people were in his ear saying, "Oh, you should go to Division One." And, and the kid works like a machine. So and he's tough as nails. So literally, I said to him, listen, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Your career. That's how it happens. Trust me on this. If you continue to work like you're working, you will have high-end success. His sophomore year, he comes back. He starts in defense as a sophomore. Makes, like I think, if, if I remember correctly, like second-team all-conference. This year, his junior year, he comes back. Now, we have the COVID year in between which didn't count because no one played in D3. Um, his junior comes back, lights out good, one of the top tacklers on the team, um, is first-team all-conference, wins a bowl game, won player of the week a couple times in defense for the conference, and is now voted captain. If you look at our four captains that we have, have appointed captain for the 2022 season, we have Makai Geeter, defensive Jeter, defensive lineman from West Haven, Connecticut. He's a, this is his second time being a captain. Um, Marcus Alisi, number seventy-seven. Mark Marcus, the big defensive lineman as well. He's a fifth-year senior, great player. Um, now, mind you, all four of these guys are unbelievable students too. <clears throat> Andrew Paulus, three-year starter, been our center since the All-American. Mitchens graduated, and Mitchin, and so. Paulus is a like a he's got a crazy GPA. I have to go look the exact number, but it's, it's up there. It's close to a four, and he's a, a, a he's like our, our David Andrews is center. He's just a stud and brilliant kid, a great leader. So we have three linemen technically as a four of our four captains. The only skill position captain is JP Mason. So think about that. Like there was a, and there's a lot of kids we could appoint in a lot. There was a lot of great like the hardest thing about picking captain this year. There's probably 20 kids on this roster that could be a captain right now because they're such great kids. So JP just really – he played injured. He played hurt at a very high level. And so I remember I was talking to him after the you know after the bowl game. I said, well, you glad you didn't leave? Was I right? And he's like, you were right, coach. And so I, I tell all our kids, listen, man, we're not going to lie to you. We're going to be very honest with you, very transparent. We can see what your potential is if you put in the work. That's the key of the puzzle. And he put in the work more than anyone. I mean, there's a video somewhere. I have to go dig it up on his on social media platforms. He's got his legs on the top of a heavy bag doing sit-ups in midair on a heavy bag with a weight, 45-pound weight. Imagine that. That's amazing, huh? And so that just shows you just the level of grind work I think this kid has. He's truly a lead from the front kid. He will go out there and play specials. He'll go out there and 
If they're down, he'll he'll do whatever it takes to win. And that's why he's a captain. And, and he's had a great career here. And it's not done yet. I mean, his accolades he's accumulated in the three years he's been here is what people would beg for in their career. And he's got another year coming. And he is locked in like I've never seen. So, you know, to have a kid like that to come back, lead our defense as a captain, and he's just like this assassin, man. He just – if you throw the ball, he's hitting you. You're knocking it out. If you run the ball, man, he's filling the alley. So he's just a kid we're excited to have back as a leader of the defense. Um, and I, I expect monstrous things from him this year and all four of those guys. So, I mean – they're already getting after it. If you saw, we have an app called GroupMe we use to communicate with the kids, and the kids communicate with each other. It's a great app. And let me tell you, the positivity and the work, both in the classroom and the weight room, is off the charts. These guys are they're, they're locked in. So if we can transition that work and energy to the field for 2022, I think you're going to see monster numbers. Amazing, amazing. You know, just the quality of kids you have over there, JP Mason, um all of them. Um, let's see, we go down the list. We have a shake kid, um Dewan Hayes. Um, I think he is a junior, right? Or a sophomore. He's a sophomore. So he was he came in during the COVID year, um, was his first year. So he was a sophomore this year. He's a very athletic kid. He was injured part of camp. Um, which limited his his stats and production, but he's going to be really good. Nice, nice. Um, all the kids you have, um, Shine, very good kid. We'll we'll, we'll get down today. I mentioned him because I seen uh, Felix actually post the bottom. Shine earlier. runs are one of our screens very well. There's a certain screen we run a lot. We like to run, and he runs it top two with all the running backs in the running back room. He just runs that one screenplay to perfection. So um, it's exciting. And we started using more in specials as the year went on. Um, he's going to be a really good player for us. And he, he will, I think he'll have a career similar to JP Mason as far as like right now, like every freshman, like a kid like him who had a great high school career, was very productive and very, very good in high school. They all want to play more and more and get more love, so to speak, early. But his career, if he continues to plug, continues to work, could be very similar in, in accolades as JP. So, um, you know, I tell, I'll, I'll say it to every kid that's in that same situation, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Keep grinding, keep plugging. I'm, t- I'm telling you the rewards will start coming. And then you'll hey. look back and realize, wow, that was really a good career. He came in weighing a 190. I don't know. I think he might be a little bigger than that. Uh, he was actually a hair lighter than that. He was 190 during the year, roughly. Um but he's going to work to really be bigger, faster, stronger. I know he will. I know he comes from a good family. Um, they're really supportive and really positive. So, you know, um, when you have a good family structure at home that continue to foster success, it's really good. So um, he comes from an athletic family, a hardworking family. I mean, he was one of the 20 kids that got unbelievable grades, made academic all-conference, which is, you know, I tell kids, if you can be both all-conference and academic all-conference, you're hitting all the check the boxes because that's where you want to be. So he'll be on that path for sure. Um, yeah, shout out to his dad. His dad comes on Thursday nights. We do the um, – he does the, the top three plays of the week. Uh, we do it up predictions. Um, but I love Felix. I like, you know, what Felix does, Shine, his brother, Sin- Sincere. Um, you know, maybe he'll be up at UMass Dotman, uh 
this season as well. I would, I'm kind of pulling for that. That would be great. I like to see the two brothers stay together. Um, but yeah, nice, nice family. I did all everything you said about Shine and, and his family. You know, I definitely agree. Um, Tariq the Silver coming out of Central Falls. Um, Central Falls been struggling lately. It's nice to see a kid from Central Falls go in, and he is a junior. Yeah, so Tariq was out with a medical this year all year, which stunk because um, he's a great player and a great kid and a really good student. He was on the last Central Falls uh, championship team, and he was a really good player for them. So <clears throat> we're praying he's – you know, he helped out behind the scenes off the field, um, and he was always, you know, really positive even though he was out with an, you know out with a medical. So we hope to have him back on the field this fall. So I'm, I'm praying that happens because he's a really good player and a great kid and – you know, um, he's a class act. So, you know, I always, I love Tariq. So he, you know, I love all our kids, but he's just a good kid. He's a kid that, you know, does a lot of the right stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he's back on the field for us. And then you go, Will Tuttle defensive back. His brother's a big advocate down in Providence. Shout out to his brother. And, uh, Will is a junior this year coming out of Bishop. Hendrickson at no surprise, you know, uh, coach Croft always sending guys to compete. Um, Will, I call Will the professor. So Will knows every call, every shift, every motion, every personnel grouping. He can literally come on the field and like literally within milliseconds, like rattle off what an opponent is doing. Like he's so smart and he knows everybody's job. He knows his job. He's just a really, he's the professor. So he literally goes out there and it's just like a, he's a tech, he's a technician. So he's a really good player and a really smart kid. He's a nursing major. He's killing it in that discipline, academic discipline. Um, he's a leader on campus. He's in a bunch of different groups um, on campus for academic-related stuff and social stuff. So, like, he comes from a good family. I'm um, not surprised he's part of all them groups on campus. I see how dedicated his brother is. You know, his brother's to... running for state office, and I think he's going to have a good shot to win. His brother's a really good positive voice uh, here in Rhode Island, and, you know, I wish him luck. It's never easy to win an election. Um but I think he's doing a lot of good things and trying to get some change, some positive change. Um, not easy, but you know. Um, but yeah, vote Tuttle. <laughs> vote Tuttle. Uh, Shane Mirbout, number thirty on defensive back. Coming another kid coming out of Cumberland, Rhode so Island. We have, a, we have a joke on our team. We call Shane Mirbout Island. So we put him a lot of times on the number one receiver. Usually it's in man-to-man coverage on an island. And usually 9.9 times out of 10, you those opponents visit Mirbot Island where So he is your Darrell Rivas. Pretty much. So he just he's a hard person to beat for offenses and he does a good job. Like our two running backs in offense, he's got his tag team partner, I call it, is Logan Chappelle. So we call it Mirbot Island and the Chappelle Show, because those two guys back there, man. That's a that's that's a problem for offenses. They're both really long and athletic and strong and really smart, both of them. And if you watch, if you just watch film of them in our films, you'll you'll notice very quickly they make a lot of plays. So freshmen, stick with them guys. They'll teach you something. They're pretty good. <laughs> and if you're gonna go to church, it might you be Nate Upchurch out of Tiverton, Rhode Island, wide receiver. Tell me a little bit about Nate. So Nate had a lot of like hamstring pulls. Um, Nate's really fast. And really athletic. He was one of the fastest kids in Rhode Island his senior year. He just has this gear. 
Um, he's just got to work on keeping his hamstring pliable because when you pull that, it's really painful and it limits your mobility. I'll tell you one thing. He's going to be really good. So Nate is also a genius. So Nate's got a 4-0 here, and he's just a really good kid. So he's another kid where, like Shine, I think his better days are ahead of him, and I don't think he realizes how high his potential is. But he's working hard, and he's going to be a really good player for us. So, you know, I mean, he's going to get bigger. His dad's a big guy. His parents are great people, really nice people. So, um, you know, for him, it's just developing and keeping healthy. Um, his ceiling is high. I mean, if he could get faster and stay healthy, good Lord, that's a, that's a, that's a weapon. So we're really excited about what he brings to the table. He's a good football player, a good kid. And you bring in a linebacker, 210 pounds, Bishop Hendrickson. Everyone around here knows Sam Alicia, like beast. Sam plays like he's 240 running a 4-4. He just – he made some hits. We knew he was as good as he was um, initially in spurts of the, the Huston game. He made some nice plays. But I'll tell you what, the second game against Dean, the Dean quarterback, I guarantee you, remembers that number. That number. I remember that play. Oh, my goodness. I was trying to think of what game it was. and it was the Dean game, must, Yeah, so. it must have been the Dean <laughs> we game. We must have rolled that back in film about two dozen times because – not only was the, the, the hit violent and fast, it was so like technically sound and explosive. And that was the that was the nail in the coffin where their quarterback did not want to play football. Fumble, right? And I think Josh was cert recovered. Picked it up. Yeah, it was a it was a knockout shot. And Sam Sam is just so fast and he's got this explosive this step where he just takes all like he just gets downhill so fast and he just blows the line like they're not even like a like they're a turnstile. So Sam is just – he's such an instinctive player. He's kind of like a cross between like a Ray Lewis and like a a Ray Lewis and, uh, you know, like a Lawrence Taylor. Oh, he's going to like that. We're going to have to cut this out. We're going to have to get this clip to him. He's going he's gonna to like that. I mean, you couldn't be mentioned with two greater guys at the position. Lawrence Taylor, we remember Lawrence Taylor vaguely, you know, playing what – Phenomenal for the Giants. Ray Lewis, everyone knows what Ray Lewis brings to the. I just I, I say Ray Lewis because his 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 endless like violence downhill and all, uh, getting to the into the backfield is like a Ray Lewis trait, and then his his confidence is like that. But then his speed, his just explosive speed downhill, reminds of Lawrence Taylor. You just come off the edge like a missile, and just connect. It's such velocity and. And it's very rare if an offensive player gets away from him. I mean, it, it is it is definitely not a good day at the office you get if, if he gets into the backfield So for the opponent. So he's just a great player. And Joshua, sir, everything you thought he was going to be when you recruited him out of Wesley. I remember Joshua, sir, at the banquet. He must have took every defensive hardware home. I was like, how are you going to carry all these trophies home? Is he everything that you thought he was going to be? Yeah, I mean, Josh, when Josh was a freshman, he got into camp, like, you know, because at the time he was like, I think it's like 205 pounds, 210 pounds. So it's not very big for a defensive lineman. The first time we went one-on-ones and then front drill, which a lot of like, it's like going live against the O-line, his ability to rip in the gaps and spin and make plays our DC in that we had a meeting after that practice that day. He said, Good Lord. He goes, That Lassert kid is like unblockable. And that was like the start of the Lassert story. 
and he just got better and better and better. And, you know, he just, I mean, he played dinged up in that Alfred State game, just making play after play after play. It was, he was just lights out good. And so we're excited what next year is going to bring because it will be technically year three for him on the field. Um, I think he's going to have a big year this fall. Tracy, you, know? you get an extra year with Josh, correct? Yeah, we do. We, oh, everybody that was here for the COVID year gets a year back. So um, for our guys, it's going to be pretty fun because, you know, he's going to be pretty good. Another Westerly name, Anthony Durante. I know the beginning of the season, I think he had some injury problems, but I believe he worked through them. Yeah, he was. He had an injury before camp, actually, and then um, he missed big chunk of camp. He tried to come back from it and kind of re-injured it inadvertently, kind of. So he had to sit out for a while. But so, but once he was back, he started on specials, and he started to get some some playing time in, in personnel groupings and defense a little bit. So our our linebacker slash coach, Coach Jenner, calls him the Honey Badger. And the reason he does, he says, like the Honey Badger player that played in major college football in the NFL, they can move him to linebacker, they can move him to safety. He's really malleable where you can move him, which allows him to be a multiple personnel grouping. So we really think Durante is going to be really good next year. And that's the thing that's crazy is that we're returning so much of the core of our defense, but the, the mid-level guys are close to being starters could push to be stars. That means we could really rotate and go fast. And so that's the exciting piece of the returners is that there's so much development happening right now. They're like, well, where's this train of success going to go? I think it's going to go pretty far because they're all really locked in. So, you know, you might see Durante as big as like 210, 215 this fall, like jacked running around just making plays. So I'm not surprised he comes from big stock. So I'm sure the kid would be will be huge if, if he puts the work in. And I watched him play, run around here for a couple of years. You know, great, great, great guy. Another Someone else that, that's a great kid, Nick Richard. I can't hear enough about him um, from his co-host over at Central he was, High School. Uh, he was starting in the beginning of the year, and then he got a, he had a severe shoulder injury. He had to have labrum surgery. Um, so he was out the rest of the year. But he was always at practice, very positive, helping out, trying to keep – everybody else that was rotating in in his position to be locked in, stay positive. So he's, he's a good player. Nick's a great kid, you know, and it's, it's crazy. Cause like we have no kids that we don't like on our roster. We love all our kids. So, which is rare to have that type of, you know, everybody says they love their kids, but like if you truly ask them behind closed doors. It's always not the case with other schools here. Like literally every kid in this roster, we love and think they have so much potential. And it's, that's the exciting thing is that we've picked the right kids. We have a Boroughville kid, Stockwell, you know, very, very tough kid, number 62. Yeah, he's he started as a true freshman three-quarters of the year and made all-conference. Um, he's just a really physical, strong kid. You know, he's you know he's a silent session. Meet him off the field. He's real quiet. I'll tell you what, on the field, man, he's a tough dude. He's physical. He's got heavy hands. He's powerful. He hits you, man. It's like getting hit by a heavyweight boxer. So that Barville team is well, well coached. They are. They're, all those Barville kids, man, are physical. They live in the weight room. They're very technically sound. They're tough as nails. Yes, sir. No, sir. They just want to grind. So, I mean, before, you know, Deshario got injured in that game against Westcon, him and Deshario were just physical, physical, physical on the left side of the line. 
Um, there's a clip from the Dean game where Deshire literally catches a kid trying to jump up and bat a ball and he power slams him into the turf. I that love that clip. Love it. Get back up. That kid was out for the rest of the game. So. I was trying to find that clip earlier. Um, I just saw my pitches. Sometimes I don't put them in the right categories, and I and I lose I mean, them. But we started the year. You know, we had Deshari was right around three hundred pounds at six four at left tackle. You have Colby, who's right around 25, 290, 62 as a freshman. Our center's like two eighty, six one. Our right guard is. 6'2", 360, and then a right tackle, 6'5", 325. So, you know, um, we're pretty big on the line. We're healthy. So Number 70, Pat Matarisi, another big kid, 6'4", 270 pounds. He was a freshman coming out of Bishop Hendrickson. Yeah, nice kid, nice family. He just needs a lot more development. And then you got, we just talked about Brandon DeCharo. Go back and look at UMass Stopman's film. You could probably find one of the clips online about what Coach McCormick's talking about. Um, yeah, that was that was incredible. And Tyler, what Tyler did, Tyler must have been very excited making the um, making ESPN top 10. I mean, just in the right play at the right time. I think ESPN, here's the play right here. Looking to throw, Avila Santos. Catches caught. They flip it to a lineman who's in. Touchdown, UMass Dartmouth. What a thinking on his feet. I think they call that the under the radar play. The guy from New Time Sports. Uh, shout out to him. Um, but right place, right time. What about the um, the wide receiver that had enough thinking to to flip it to him? So that was a play we designed. Um, you know, we always just always try to have a couple trick plays designed for each week. And even if we don't run them, um, we rep them to have that as a repertoire. And that was a play we designed that week. And we were on the fence. We were ever going to even run it. And it's funny. So our OC always talks about this with recruits and they laugh and they visit and he explains what happened in the game. So at the time we just needed to get the first down and uh, they were trying to protect the end zone kind of. And so, we called the play was called ladder, which is laughable. Hook and ladder. It's like, come on, it's so obvious. But no one covered the lineman. Everybody covered the skill guys. So we knew um they would go right out all the wideouts. So, you know, Michael Vince is a big kid, the kid that caught the ball, you know, um, and he caught the ball and and has backed the defender so that he as he's hitting him, he could flip it to him. Um, and no one was covering you know, Tyler and Tyler's a big dude, man. He's says six, five, 300. That's a little off. He's about three and a quarter, but he's really athletic. He's a strong kid. He's very put together. He can move. He runs like a five forty. Money in the bank. He had the money in the bank case after that play. <laughs> uh, you know, that was, that was pretty awesome. You know, what a great, great clip. One of your highlights of, of the season. I'm sure. Um, and Tyler's coming. Where's he coming from? New London, right? Trinity, so Tyler, um, so Tyler played at Waterford High School, then reclassified for prep school at Trinity Pauling in New York. But his family lives in New London, like right in the New London Waterford line area. But, you know, we have a, a lot of kids from the ECC. If you look at our roster, the number of kids from that conference, ECC, you know, we have kids from New London, Waterford, Montville's, you know, um, we've had kids over the years from Stonington, East Lyme. So that whole ECC conference, which we love that conference, 
we've had a lot of great players over the years from that conference. Just lights up good, good players. So, you know, Vincent's from Waterford, big athletic receiver. Antonio Brown, number 18 on a roster. He's from Montville. That's where Antonio Brown went. We all wondered. He went <laughs> back to UMass Dartmouth. You know, no relation, same name, but no relation. Um, <laughs> Antonio yeah, Brown's a much better kid, I think. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and then an, another Rhode Island kid. Um, you just got so many great, great Rhode Island kids. You know, this one is very fast coming out of EWG Malachi. Same most, you know. Is he really weighing 175? Pretty skinny kid, on, huh? but he was fast. He's got a lot bigger since high school. So, yeah, he's he's 175 now. He's uh, worked really hard in the weight room. He got a lot better in the last year. He played a lot at the end of the year at wideout. He saw a lot of time, made some nice plays. Um, definitely a good player. This next guy I'm going to mention, I seen him make a nice one-hand Played two years ago, um, I think it was state championship game. Thomas Zednick, wide receiver, tall kid, 6'5", 210 pounds. He's bigger than 6'5". He's almost 6'6". Um, he's about 215 now. He's a big dude for a wide out. He, uh, we designed a bunch of two-point conversion plays with him because he's so long and athletic, and he caught a bunch in the bowl game against Alfred State, and he had a nice touchdown catch early in the year. Um, he's He's going to be really good. Nice. Isaiah Cole, another Cumberland kid on uh, three kids from Cumberland High School on your roster. Yeah, Zay's a great player. He's a great kid. He's he's working really hard to get bigger. He had he got a lot more playing time as the year went on. He was another guy like you know, like Upchurch who had an injury in camp. Um and took him about six weeks in the season to get healthy. You know, and he and we were worried they were gonna have to they were gonna like basically take him offline, be be medical for the whole year. And he wasn't, thank God. He had some nice plays, both on kick return as well as at slot. So we expect some big things from him next year. You know, and he he did some nice stuff for us late in the year. He, he had some nice plays in the bowl game. So um, I think the future is very bright with a lot of young, good players. And number 88 coming out of Coventry Oak is Jaden Pearson, uh, 5'11", 170 pounds. Yeah, Jaden's good wide out. He's going to be really good. He had a good camp, um, and we are looking for big things from Jaden. He came from a good program, um, hard worker, great kid. The kids on the roster love him. We love him. I mean, he's got a lot of potential. That kid is, is pretty fast, actually, and he runs good routes, and he's smart. So his ceiling is high, too. I mean, I think he can get to 190, 200 pounds and, and be faster. So you know, we're excited about what he can bring to the table. Now, Sean Rio, he played his fifth year of eligibility last year, right? He came out of classical high school. Yeah, so he's done. He had some injuries at the end of the year, which stinks because there was some uh, professional teams looking at him. He's bigger than 6'4", 225. He, uh, he was 6'4", 225 as a junior before the COVID year. He's fluctuates between 245 and 260. He's about 6'5". He's a big dude. One of our graduating captains. Great player. Um, physical. I mean, he he's built like an Adonis. So, Sean, I love Sean. I, he was obviously one of my recruits from my from Rhode Island and had a great career here and did some nice things. Then you get out of Tivit and Nick Estrom, number ninety-five linebacker. Yeah, Nick's like a linebacker slash edge. He's a good player. So many great kids. That was basically um, 
all the Rhode Island kids, there was one or two that was still on the roster, but I don't think they are on the the team this season. But coach, what's like um if you had to name three things that recruits should not do in high school before getting recruited, what what would they be? Uh number one, have great grades. I always say to recruits, listen, C's and D's don't get degrees and F's forget about it. So you know, on your transcripts, you can't have C's and D's and F's. It just, it just, it kills you in your your core GPA and your recalc and the missions department recalculates them when they apply. So, you know, it, wherever you are in your high school career, those have to not be on your transcripts going forward from this point forward. That's number one. Number two, with social media, be smart. Use it as a, a positive digital billboard. Tell a lot of kids on your Twitter or on your Facebook. Have your real name so that we know who you are, have a lot of positive information, um, and, you know, use it as a digital marketing. You know, don't put negative things on there. Don't put any derogatory things on there. You know, don't put anything that's going to get you in trouble for social reasons or otherwise. You know, that's never good. You know, there's over 60,000 high school varsity recruitable players. There's only 600 college football teams. So in all divisions combined. So there's not a lot of opportunity to, uh, you know, to get on a roster, you know. Um, so it's really hard for class. So I tell kids all the time. The other thing I tell kids, go to camps. Go to one-day prospect camps at universities. Um, even if you don't like the school the camp is at, there's going to be other college coaches. Like summer 2019 before COVID, I did 61 D1 camps in that summer alone in like 90 days. So I remember that. Yeah. I remember uh, last summer there was less camp opportunities. I think I went to like 38 of them last summer. There wasn't as many opportunities, but this upcoming summer we'll be getting back to some normalcy. So I'll be back on track with my high numbers. But I, one thing I can say is that the kids that did more one day camps, their production got better and better and better. And then their offers came and then it was a positive domino effect. So, you know, so that's a big thing you must do. You can't just go to like one or two camps and shut it down. You you definitely should be at least at anywhere from eight to a dozen camps in the summer, at least at four or five different universities. <clears throat> um, and, you know, the other thing I tell people, you never know where a coach is going to end up. So, you know, I mean, Bill Belichick played at a D3 school. Josh McDaniels played at a D3 school. You never know where guys are going to come from in this industry. And guys move around. So if a coach shows you love and respect and they want you, show the love and respect back. I'm not saying you have to go to said school, but but entertain all offers and then make your informed decision at the end. I tell people, look at the school's academics. Look at the school's track record with producing, like, jobs for kids. And look at the school's football program. You know, from a, like, not just wins and losses, that's part of it, but, like, are guys staying? Or are they all transferring out? You know, like a revolving door. Or, or you know, are kids happy there? Or is it a good experience? You know, or is the coaches lying to you? You know, these coaches I've seen out there have been at like eight or ten or twelve different schools in like twelve years. Well, obviously, it's a commitment to a university to go there for four years, right? Also, that coach should be committed to you. So, if that coach recruiting has been at like eight, ten, or twelve schools in twelve year span. He is not committed to you. You know, it's like a it's like a girl you date and she's with twelve different guys and 
12 different weeks. Well, is she committed to you? No. So same different no. thing. Like you, you got to look at it in like real life analogies. So I tell people all the time, listen, I've been here. I'm going on year nine out of 23 years of coaching. This is year nine here. So for me, I'm pretty committed to being here. I mean, I built a $30,000 office in my basement just for football. Um, so I'm pretty locked in. Guy's you know, doing my, all right. My commitment. So, um, and I, I tell kids like, I'm never going to tell like you don't go look at that school and don't look at other schools. I'm not going to do that. Go look at the schools. Go do your research. Because at the end of the day, I'll be the first one to congratulate congratulate you if you get an FBS full scholarship or an FCS full scholarship because you deserved it. And I have no problem losing a kid to an Ivy League like Brown or Yale because it's an Ivy League. That's part of the deal. Like when you're recruiting high academic athletic kids, you're going to lose some kids to those high-end schools, and I'm good with that. It's when a kid takes a school that's really expensive and it's an okay school and they're a PWO and they're getting almost no money of any kind, not even football money, and they're going to go loan out 40 grand a year. That I don't really totally agree with. Now, it's their decision and their ideology, and that's fine. I respect that. But it's like, what's, you know, look at the school's value, the return on investment. You know, um, I think we're a really good school. Obviously, I'm biased because I work here, but, you know, at the end of the day, Go where you wanted, go where you're going to get a great education at a very reasonable price, and go where you're going to have an opportunity to play early. That's just my philosophy. Well, yeah, and, you know, there's situations where kids go to college, they take something that they really are major that's not going to pay the bills, and they realize in a, in a year or two that, you know, this is just not for me, and they end up dropping out, and they still have the year or two of college to pay for. Yeah, I mean – I. I say to people all the time, um, you know, you know, do a major that's going to have like, like, it's like you own a business. You got to look at like, what's the, what's needed in the marketplace? One, like what jobs have high demand? What jobs have high pay scale based on the demand? You know, one job, for example, is physical therapy. Um, th that is a high demand in occupational therapy. That's a high demand job and you gotta get your you gotta get your doctorate to, to, to practice it but it's worth the schooling because why you're gonna make a lot of money uh, so high return on investment you go into finance high return on investment going to engineering high return on investment um certain niches in criminal justice high return investment you know law school or go work for the federal government there's a high return investment there it depends you gotta look at majors that have a higher return on investment the medical field right now is huge any biomedical sciences is huge um, high return on investment. And that's what I tell people, like, if you just do a psychology undergrad major, you have to have a game plan, for example, post-undergrad or graduate school that leads to a high-end career in that major. So it, it, it's, it is a lot of school, but it's worth the investment in time and money to get the reward on the back end in a high-paying career and a very successful, safe career, you know, from a financial standpoint. Okay, I told some students that you were coming on. Any questions that I should ask? And one is, what is the practice compared to high school practice? Well, you got to remember high school, most high schools, they're doing what I call two platoon, where they're or Ironman, they're playing both ways. So one day they might practice defense, one day they might practice offense. We have a lot more time with our kids. We have a lot more individualized focus because we have more coaches than most schools. So um, we can really break it down. 
at a very high level. We also spend a lot more time in film, I think, with what we do with the film. Um, but some things are similar, some things are different. So um, it's more demanding, mental and physical. I would say more mental than physical, honestly, but not that physical, it's not physically demanding. It's just the mental piece is what wears people down, you know. Like that first day of camp that you guys have, you know, a lot of kids were dreading that. I, I forgot what exactly you call it, but uh, what's that like an all day, all day affair? That first yeah, week, yeah, that the first day of camp is just long. I mean, a lot of paperwork, a lot of meetings, a lot of administrative stuff, and then we have the run test, which is pretty tough. A lot of kids bomb that because they didn't realize the level of cardiovascular you need to have. Um, but it, yeah, it's just a grind. I mean, college is not high school and high school is not college. It's just how it is. So, and as you go up the levels of, of football into the pros and stuff, it becomes really a business. So, you know, it's, we film practice every day. So there's practice film every day that's tagged and uploaded and we can evaluate off of it every day. You know, I mean, how many high schools do you see f have multiple cameras filming a practice and then tagging it and uploading it and making comments to the kids every day? Not many places do that. It's hard to do that. So I think the attention to detail um, is just higher because of how we do it. So and I did I did high school for eight years, so I'm not, I'm not knocking high school. I started out my career at college, went to high school after that for eight years and came back to college nine years ago. So I have a kind of different lens than a lot of coaches have done both sides of the coin um, at multiple schools. And it's just the, it's the resources, it's the time, it's the attention to detail, the number of coaches. It, that's the difference. Like, you know, go to a high school, they might have five, six coaches there. We have 10 coaches plus trainers, plus filmers, plus support staff. So it's a, a bigger thing. How about off-season conditioning? Now is the second question. When do you guys start off-season conditioning, and what is it? What does it entail? So during the in-season, we lift two to three days a week in season for maintenance. Um, and during Christmas break, they go home. They have a, a program through what's called Team Build. It's an online app. They have to add stuff to, and there's there's workouts and then they have to do, and it's it's all tracked. When they get back to campus for spring semester. They have max outs, and then they go right into um, winter lifting, off-season lifting. And that's, you know, at least three to four days a week with the trainers. And then they can do additive stuff as well. Um, and that's tracked as well. And then, then we hit spring ball. Spring ball starts in literally like about a month for us. It starts in March. And that's 16 practices. And the NCAA just changed the rule uh, for the 16 practices can be full. The other can be helmet. So – we can actually, you know, play real football in the spring in the spring now. So it's like very similar to D1. And at the end of the 16 practices, we'll have our team banquet, which that's when the kids are going to get their bowl rings. And they go home with their summer workouts. Now, a good chunk of the team will stay on campus because they choose to. They'll take some classes and they'll work out with the trainers one-on-one -on -one here. And a bunch of them will go home and remotely work out with the trainers where they're getting workouts in through Team Builder, but they're in constant contact with our strength and conditioning staff. And they report back in August for preseason. Preseason, once they're here, is every day. There's no days off. Preseason is literally you start camp in August, right around the 10th, 11th of August, and it runs right till the first game. You know, um, and it's a, it's a grind. It's like Groundhog Day, but it's it's fun. Cause it's football, and we love it. And so I, I mean, to me, it's like vacation because I can just do football 24/7. Um, you know, so it's it's good. 
Nothing like football constantly, man. The Bengals in the Super Bowl for the first time since 89. Bengals and the Rams. Who do you have? Last time the Rams were in there, your good friend Liam was coaching on the team. Now he got a nice job up at Kentucky. Um, Coach Nod was there a couple weeks ago. He brought the kids up there to to see him. What do you think? Is the Rams going to be able to pull it out, or is the Bengals going to win a Super Bowl? If Joe Burrows plays as well as he's played yet so far, the Bengals win. I think it's if Burrows can rise above and put the team on his back and get the ball to chase and do some unique things and beat the rush. If the rush can't stop Burrows, Burrows wins. If the rush stop Burrows, and then the Rams win. That's my analysis. Um, but it's possible. I mean, that kid is pretty darn good. I mean, you look at his career, and he it's similar to a Tom Brady career in the sense that, like, he was at Ohio State. Well, even before Ohio State, you know, he was offered by almost no places. Ends up at Ohio State in this process. You know, Urban Meyer said, oh, you're not good enough to start. Eventually he leaves, ends up at LSU, and lit it up at LSU, put up ungodly numbers. Um, had one of the most epic seasons an FPS team has ever had undefeated. Rolled everybody, no one even touched them. Um and he was just lights out good then when the Heisman goes to the league, was having a great year's rookie year, then gets hurt, comes back one year later, and he's in the Super Bowl. And that's a pretty impressive guy. Incredible. Their, their team's not bad, but they're not. If you look at their roster, is it a top four roster in the league? No. Is it a top ten? Probably. So he's doing more with less. And if they can ever get some more pieces of the puzzle around that guy, whoa. I mean, he's a really talented player. Now, you mentioned Tom Brady. He retires. Look, look at his picture of Tom Brady. A little <laughs> gray around the uh, chin. Um, you know, you mentioned Tom Brady. He retires. Definitely the greatest player to ever touch a football. What do you think about his the career that he has had? And the second part of this question, do you think he played better his first half of his career or the second part of his career? I think the second part in the sense they had so much experience. So the biggest thing in football that I found is game experience. So the more game experience you have, the better you become because you have more knowledge and you can you can process things mentally on your feet quicker. Um, I think in the beginning, he's always been a confident guy and a very mentally strong guy where he can overcome stress and overcome situational football. Um, you know, you look at that first drive where he was – where he won the game in the Super Bowl against the Rams the first time, you know, that drive was pretty epic and, and very, you know, I remember the, the, the voiceover from John Madden saying, Oh, I think they should, you know, play for overtime. And that's not what he was playing. He was playing to win. So, you know, that was part of the start of the, 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 the mystique, so to speak. And then he went on this, he won three Super Bowls in four years, which is pretty, you know, astronomical. Um, and then you saw them kind of sputter for a while. I think that sputtering was what led him to bring in that guy Guerrero to like redevelop him as a player over time with his pliability stuff and his diet and his, further his focus. And I think that process made him better on the back end. Because, yes, they lost a couple of Super Bowls against the Giants. But I think the process was such a good thing to have. I think the cool thing about him is that when he went to the, the Bucks. He could legitimately walk into that room as a, as a player and say, I played all these years 
and I have both won and lost Super Bowls, and that's valuable the losses in the sense that he could sell the argument that I've been on the loss side, and this is why we lost. Here's the variables that we didn't do right, and I've been on the winning side, and I think for him to have that like knowledge and experience to to basically quote unquote sell to the the roster, you know that was a good valuable thing to have as, as, as leverage to get that team in Tampa Bay to lock in that first year and, and block everything out and just do football. Um, it's tough to sustain that anywhere, that type of focus. Um, and they brought back I, I, essentially 90% of the same roster. So the pro is that they've been there before and they know what it takes to get there. The con is some people get comfortable and hard to keep winning. So, um, I think he saw that and he, I think he wants to spend more time with his kids and his wife and he was in the league for 22 years. That's a long time. And he yeah. has other careers. He's about to jump into Brady brand, his TV 12. I mean, I just showed a clip on the screen and I was unaware that big Ben was a TV 12, um, client for a long time. And, um, and it shows cause big Ben had a long career. Um, and Brady says right here in a post that he defined the TV 12 method in favor to throw some ice on it method his whole career and ended up an all time great. There's more than one way to bake a cake base basically. And congratulations to big Ben. Yeah. Ralph is a big dude, man. He was a, a tough player. Um, and again, you're going to see a lot of guys. I think eventually Rogers will retire. You know, you're going to start to see a bunch of older cats kind of get out. Because the, it seems to me, what I've noticed, if you do the right things while you're in the league and you make the right decisions financially and, and, and career-wise, you look at people like Michael Strahan, his his post-career, post-NFL career is amazing. I mean, he's doing, you know, TV shows and – Making you know, a ton of money. Making, you know, has a clothing line. I mean, you know, and I think Brady's, uh, Brady's become pretty friendly to a lot of ex-opponents that have retired – you know, Strahan's one of them. I think he was probably talking to people like that. And they're probably like, listen, like, what else more do you have to prove? So, you know, he's kind of defied every every variable there is. So at this point for him, it's like, well, I think it's time to do something else. And he made 450 in his career. Like, that's pretty good. He's like the number one football player as far as money made. And everybody kind of gave him a lot of crap for him giving money back do you think the Patriots last question um then I'll let you go I know it's been a long day do you think the Patriots relationship and Tom Brady will eventually be fixed I I think you know the Pats were in a tough spot with the cap and at the time and you know I think he it wasn't so much how much money he wanted I mean I don't know I, I haven't talked to him in the Pats organization to know the inner workings of what how that went down but I think I think you just want, you know, sometimes you just want to change. And I think, I don't think it was as much the relationship with the Pats as more like, you know what? I want to prove the world wrong that I'm, I am this good. I'm not just a system quarterback. And because that was the media knock on him for years. And I don't, do I think he was, was the relationship a little bit strained with Belichick? Well, they were together 20 years. And at that point, I think he wanted more control of like play design and, And I don't know if they were giving him that control to an extent. I think they were taking his ideas, but I don't think they were. I think I think Tampa gave him a lot more control than people realize. Um, and again, you know, 
we were there 20 years. It's a long time. So, you know, that's a long time in any job. So I've never been at the same job for 20 years in my life. So I don't know what that's like. So, you know, so again, you know, I think he just said, well, I did my time. And he's very close to craft. And I think he, um, he basically, you know, said, well, I want a different scenery. He looked around the league, both location, organization, rosters, and said, well, he saw that the Bucks before he got there, was turning the ball over a lot with their quarterback. He said, well, if I minus these turnovers, they'll win way more games. And he was right. And so, and he's a great leader. You know. But, Mikey? Sorry about that. I hit the the wrong button. Um, I hope they have they eventually straighten their relationship out. You know, Mister Kraft and and Tom, and because oh, you know, how can you not be upset being a Patriot fan, not even being mentioned by Tom Brady during his retirement? You know, um, but we'll see what happens. You know, and I know people getting their feelings. I don't think Brady wanted to leave. I think they could have very much fixed that situation i don't think he wanted to leave and i think his he was forced to leave at the end you yeah, know? know it's hard to tell i mean yes definitely maybe he'll write a book about it you know down the road you never know it'd be be intriguing to find out what really happened and and, and who knows maybe maybe none of the three key pieces belichick Kraft, or brady will even talk about it yeah, true. I, I, I mean on one hand, you gotta you gotta think Brady's gotta be appreciative of the organization and Belichick because they had ne- essentially kind of initially created his opportunity and created him. Because I remember there was a point where Belichick could have gone back to Bledsoe and put Brady back on the bench, and he and he picked Brady to be the starter. At that point, Bledsoe was healthy, so he obviously had confidence and trusted him to be the quarterback. But you know. It, that was a long time ago. That was twenty, almost twenty years ago. So, or it's twenty over twenty years ago now. So, you know, I mean, relationships can can constrain, and who knows? I mean, well, look, he was falling off a cliff twelve years ago. Yeah. <laughs> twelve years ago, the cliff was coming. Um, and I just guessed twelve years. It might have been even longer. Rob yeah, they were, Parker, they were, they were Max Kellerman. They were selling that cliff stuff in 2014. That was a long time ago now. And so. he's still good. He went out on top. Like he definitely can still compete. I don't think he wants to be like Peyton Manning, go out, even though he got a Super Bowl leaving. I think he wants to go out playing great, great football. Um, but he was the best to ever play the game. The NFL should waive his five years in the Hall of Fame and he should get inducted right in, you know, definitely first ballot. The, the NFL should make a rule that if you play 20 years or more, which is like they're going to have so few kids, do, few guys do that. If you play 20 years or more and you've won, and if they have like check the boxes, you're an all pro, you won a Super Bowl, um, you started at least 8% of that time frame and you were there 20 years or more, that you should be automatically put in after one year. You know what I'm saying? Like one year of being out, they should make like an exemption because the number of people that would fit those check the boxes would be like so few um, and so rare that it would be a, a, a valid exemption. Um, was I bumming that he left because I'm a New England fan? They left New England? Yes. Um, but it, that's part of professional sports. A lot of greats have left organizations and Wayne Gretzky did it in hockey. You know, people like... Shannon Shop did it, you Shop. know? 
Yeah, I mean, people do. It's just unfortunately professional sports with caps and free agency. Now it's it's people jump rosters. It's just how it is. I don't think Peyton Manning ever got over in in Indianapolis. You never see him picking up Indy. He's always picking up Denver Broncos, you know. On so I think he's still in his feelings over over them. Yeah, I mean, you want you want your career to go um, a long time with the same place, obviously. But that's rare now. I mean, not many people are there in one place for that long. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate it, man. Coach Nod behind the pads down there right now in Las Vegas, and they're actually getting ready to play the NFL flag championship game this weekend. So congratulations to them. Ryan, thank you. Um, good luck. Maybe you can get your back-to-back championships uh, so you can get three <laughs> since 2003. But you have a lot of good guys coming back. Um, we didn't even get a chance to get into the tran- transfer portal. We'll have to do that another time. But, Ryan, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, good good luck this season. And um, keep getting them Rhode Island boys, man. Put Rhode Island on the map. We'll keep trying, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, but to you and the uh, family, you know, thank you. I appreciate everything, and we'll talk soon. All right. Good talking to you, Mikey. All right. That's Coach McCormick, UMass Dotman, Corsairs Football 2021 New England Bowl champions, man. Um, So we went over all the Rhode Island kids, man. Great, great show. Thank you, Ryan. It's been a while trying to get him in the building, man. But everybody knows Ryan works very, very hard. You know, it's not easy getting kids to play for these teams. You know, shout out what Coach Edwards does. You know, what Coach McCormick does. All his staff up, up there. You know, all the great Rhode Island football coaches trying to put the kids on the next level but thank you everybody i really appreciate it man good luck to umass dotment this season hey check it out if you want to be an official get at me i got an email that you can send out um you could probably find work right away this season they definitely need some new officials um what's going on thank you to mock right man awesome sponsor all season long you know, if you're looking to buy a home, give Mock a call, 401-787-5203, a presidential award winner. Definitely Mock be supporting youth football. Um, And I think that ends it, man. We're going to be back this week. We're behind the pads, probably coming in from Vegas. Um, So definitely stay tuned. Check that out. A lot of good shows. Coming up this season, a lot of coaches returning. Looking to throw, Avila Santos catches, caught. They flip it to a lineman who's in. Touchdown, UMass Dartmouth. What a creative play. What a nice play, and good luck to ball game behind the pads. I just step into my own dance. I ain't rocking shit else. I want my own brand. Ball game everything. Ball game snapback. Ball game V-neck. Ball game backpack. Ball game stitched in the seats of the Cadillac. Disrespect my movement. I-